All right. Well, that was good worship, wasn't it? That was good stuff. Good stuff. Um, yeah, that was really good. That special was good, too. Yeah, that was really good. It's good to have them today. Give them a hand for leading worship day. That's incredible. All right. We are um, starting the last of five sermons in the book of Acts. We've been in Acts for about three and a half years. And um, so uh, we, we are now going to start the last of five sermons and finish out the book. Um, today, the sermon is called Disturbing. Now, um, how many of you are uh, Star Wars fans? Okay. How many of you know the Star Wars story? At least you know Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, and all that kind of stuff. All right, great. Well, this is a picture of... Uh, The first movie, um, A New Hope, which is actually number four, which begins to be a little confusing and only nerds would understand all that. But but this is a part, and that's Darth Vader, and he is choking a guy. Um, This is actually in a staff meeting, um, and we've all been in a staff meeting where you just wanted to choke the guy, right? Come on, you know? The guy, you're like, ah, you want to choke him. So this, this is that picture during that moment, and this is what he says. I find your lack of faith disturbing. So this has been a meme many people have used before. I find your lack of faith disturbing. And they'll even do stuff creatively like this. I find your lack of proper grammar disturbing, right? Um, You might say that on Facebook. You might say that on Twitter. You might say that when reading a blog. You might say that when listening to a sermon at Farmington Baptist Church. I have a problem with are and is and all kinds of stuff that just doesn't seem to come, come out of my mouth exactly correct. And maybe it's because, you know, I'm just not really good at all that grammar stuff. I'm from the South. By the way, Chad, um, I know you're from Texas, and they don't talk this way. But, but in North Carolina, um, next Saturday is two Saturdays away. This Saturday is this Saturday. So if you say next Saturday, it's actually two Saturdays. I know it's confusing, two, two Saturdays away, but this Saturday is this Saturday, next Saturday. So if you're a Yankee in the room, I just taught you something about the culture. Just in case somebody says next Saturday, they're not talking about this Saturday. If they were talking about this Saturday, they would say this, not next. It's two totally different concepts. So I just wanted to help you out. out. And do what? Yeah, it's very disturbing. It, it disturbed me when you said that, actually. It's very, it bothered me. And I find your lack of proper, I don't know, English in North Carolina disturbing. Uh, so, it, T-shirts have come out like this. Warning, choking hazard with his little thing, because Darth Vader would choke people. Um, however, it, he's, if you know the story, he's also the father of Luke Skywalker and Leia, right? I don't know if you've watched the movies, but it just probably gave away the... The big ticket item. Um, so this next picture, if you get that concept, would be very disturbing. My finger, pull it. Very disturbing. If your dad ever did that to you, you had to pull it. It, it wasn't a good. It wasn't a good moment. It was very, very disturbing, both mentally and smellily. All right. So the next one, um, torturing your daughter's boyfriend. If you know Han Solo and, and Leia, um, a couple months ago, I felt like doing this. My daughter was dating somebody, but thank God she broke up with him. <laughs> it was a, 
And then finally, back to school. No! Right. So very disturbing. So that said, I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. By the way, if we have time, if we have time, I just totally blanked on your name. If we have time, that Glorious Day song, maybe we could sing it at the very end just kind of as another thing because that was... If a Baptist ever wanted to get Pentecostal, it was during that song. That, that, was, that was unbelievable. That was just unbelievable. Okay. Acts chapter 21, verse 3 said this. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there was a ship, and we unloaded its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go into Jerusalem. Now, this is, an, this is an interesting development in the story. Here we have a verse that says that there's a group of disciples, a group of believers that's telling Paul, through the Spirit, not to go into Jerusalem because they know that some bad stuff is going to happen to him when they get there. Now, at first glance at this, you would think that this is actually the Spirit telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. You would would think that immediately. And in fact, for, for ages now, there have been conversations about whether or not Paul should have gone to Jerusalem or where he whether he shouldn't have. And that's that's a whole like debate concept in, in scripture. However, it's a lot lot easier than that. It's a lot easier to do that than that to understand that question. Should he have gone to Jerusalem or should he have not gone to Jerusalem? So first, there's a Greek word. It's called pneumatos. Pneumatos is the word that is used in Scripture, the Holy Spirit or spirit in general. Um, It it is capitalized when it's used, um, you know, of the Holy Spirit. However, in the original manuscripts, all the letters in Greek were capitalized and they were slapped together. So, nonetheless, this, here in this passage of Scripture, we know very, very well that this has to do with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. So, it's through the Holy Spirit that these disciples are telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So, is Paul, because he continues to go to Jerusalem, walking against the will of God, or is Paul, who we all know always follows the Holy Spirit, is he really following God's will? So, what is the answer to that particular question. Well, I think that question, that that answer comes a little bit before. When we were in chapter 19, um, it said this, 19 verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit, that's pneumatos, the Holy Spirit, to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul under the direction of the Holy Spirit, believed that the Holy Spirit called him to go to Jerusalem. He is saying, I am resolved, and I must go to Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem, I'm going to wind up in Rome. He does not tell you how that's going to be. He doesn't tell you what's going, going to happen. He doesn't know. But he has received a call from God to take this particular path. Here's another verse of Scripture. 
from Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 23, that says this, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained, that means bound, tied down to it, by the Holy Spirit. In other words, what he's communicating is, the Holy Spirit has called me to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has called me to go to Rome. That is my path. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So at this point, he knows that when he goes to Jerusalem, there's some bad stuff going to happen to him. He's going to be imprisoned, and there's going to be afflictions. Look, this isn't new for Paul. Every, basically, almost everywhere he went, there was afflictions. He was almost stoned to death. He had to leave, leave cities several times because his life was on the line. He had been in prison before, and then there's a couple of jailbreaks and things happening. So, so afflictions and, and stuff like that was normal. So if it's normal in the rest of the world, it's really going to be amped up when he goes to Jerusalem. Here's a bunch of Jews. Um, they don't like him too much. Yes, the believers do, but the other Jews don't. They think he's a traitor and eh, just not really sure about it. And so he receives this message, and this message is slightly disturbing, right? It's slightly disturbing. So let's keep reading. And let's jump. Yeah, we'll do five through six. And when our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship and they returned home. Look at verse 8. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who is really my favorite Bible character. I mean, he, it's hard to... I know there's Jesus, but then that guy, Philip, man, he's really, he's really cool. All right, who was once of the seven and stayed with him? And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, we're not going to dive into that because when we find something like that in Scripture that is kind of difficult, we skip over it. So verse 10, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands. So, um, Dakota, come here. This is Dakota. Yeah, just come. Either way, you can jump. You can do a cartwheel. Okay, so, so this passage of Scripture says that, um, oh, there went my thing. There's things attached to your belt other than your pants. What I would like you to do is I would like you to tie up your, your uh, legs and your hands with this belt. Okay? Yeah, you can sit. That's why I got up if you need to. Yeah, yourself. It says that the prophet took Paul's belt and tied himself up. So that's a good that's a good start. Well, you're you're doing a good job. Okay, you got it. No, look, dude. If I if I help you, I'm going against scripture. I mean, I I don't know what to do here. Hey, look, okay, 
but pull this. See, I've thought about this. And, and you rap because in my spare time, I grab people off the street and I tie them up like this. Okay. Now, you're going to have to hold that part. All right, great. So he ties them up. Now, you have to get this visual. There's his, his little belt around his waist wasn't much more than what he has right here. So here's, here's Agabus, and he's tied up. And in verse 11, it says this. Let me find it with my 40-year-old eyes. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, I don't know about you, but this looks uncomfortable, right? <laughs> right, this looks immediately uncomfortable. This is a picture of, of what Paul would feel like when he's bound in Jerusalem. Though it's going to be worse, he's going to be imprisoned and there's more happening. There's some bad stuff on the horizon for Paul and it's not going to be good and it's going to be very uncomfortable and it's just not going to feel very well. This is the picture he's trying to draw. Give, give Dakota a, a hand. Thank you, buddy. Now, verse 12. When we heard this, and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem, who wouldn't urge Paul not to go to Jerusalem? Right? Who wouldn't? You love somebody? Something bad's going to happen to them in the city? The Holy Spirit has revealed that to you? Who wouldn't tell them just not to go? Well, maybe Jimmy. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Who wouldn't tell them? Look, if, if I knew something about you today, that something was going to happen to you, if you were to share the gospel with your neighbor and it was going to be a, a very bad thing and I was to tell you about it, I would encourage you not to do it because there's going to be pain in your life. Why? Not because the Holy Spirit necessarily told me to tell you that, but the Holy Spirit told me there was some pain coming in your life and I'm so concerned about you that I would want you to avoid that pain. So here's a group of people that have received this vision of Paul being in prison in Jerusalem and what they are doing is they are interpreting it according to how they feel about Paul. Is everybody tracking? And so they're urging him not to go. So how do you take the first, uh, verse 4 of chapter 21? You take it as these people that have received the same vision, and they're trying to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem because there's going to be pain. The Holy Spirit isn't trying to stop him. Here's how we know that. Throughout Acts, there have been several times where the Holy Spirit prevented them from going to places. They, he prevented him from going to Macedonia, right? Or in, a, in uh, uh, Asia, he prevented him. So Paul understands when the Holy Spirit is not allowing him to go somewhere, and when the Holy Spirit is saying, you're going to this place, but there's going to be trouble. And so Paul looks at this, and this is his response to the people who are talking to him. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, not even, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, the reason he would not be persuaded is because he had a definite call from the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem and then to go to Rome. That's why. So he would not be persuaded, 
at all. And we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So at that moment, it's okay. If God doesn't want him to go there, what we're praying for is for God to stop him before he gets there. So Paul is on a mission to Jerusalem. And even though there's going to be some disturbing things happening there, he says this, I am ready. I am ready. If we read back in in chapter 20 of Acts, this is how he puts it in that passage. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I do not account my life of any value or precious to myself. What is he saying there? He's saying, I am ready. I'm ready to do the mission that God has given me to do. And it doesn't matter to me what's going to happen to me in Jerusalem. Now, I'm, I'm speaking in a country that has safe zones for people in, at universities so they won't get offended. I'm preaching in a, in a country that where you, you can't really speak the truth anymore unless, because it might offend somebody. Somebody's feelings might get hurt. Somebody might get upset And we have such a value on not hurting someone's feelings that we're doing them no earthly good and no heavenly good. So people, we're accepting things that we shouldn't accept because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We're allowing kids to do things that they shouldn't do because we don't want to hurt their feelings. And and the fact of the matter is we are in a culture where we just want to be safe. And and it has seeped into the church. Okay? It's not just out there. It's in the church too. Some of us will not witness because we don't feel safe about it. We feel like something bad might happen to us. But in Scripture, Jesus has called all of us to make disciples of every creature in every nation. He has called all of us to be witnesses to people around us. Why? Because there's something bigger going on than your pain or what might happen to you if you share somebody the gospel. What's bigger is people's lives are at stake for eternity. If people do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they go to a place of torment. And in the end days, it's a place called the lake of fire that burns for eternity, and they are tormented. But there's a bigger picture. God's doing something. He's trying to save people from that. That's why he died on the cross for our sins. That's why he rose again, because there is a better place than the lake of fire that you and I can go. And it's the place that he wants every creature to go to, every human to go to, because God so loved the whole world, not just a certain portion of them, the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's something bigger on the line. So in Paul's viewpoint, He's called to go to Jerusalem. He's called to present the gospel. And if that means being imprisoned, beaten, and having afflictions, then that's okay with him because there's something bigger going on than his personal safety. So the question to you this morning at the outset of the sermon is, are you ready? 
Are you currently ready to present the gospel to people? Are you doing that? Paul begins to go to Jerusalem, and we're going to see this in a couple weeks, but he, he goes to Jerusalem, and there's a point in time where he begins to doubt whether or not Jesus actually told him to go, and he starts remembering all those people warning him not to go to Jerusalem. The moment that he started doubting was the moment that the tough got really tough. This is no different than John the Baptist. John the Baptist did the same thing. He wondered if his ministry was what his ministry was supposed to be. And so he's sitting in this prison cell, about to be carted away somewhere, and Jesus appears to him to reconfirm his call. And this is what he says, Acts 23, 11. The following night, the Lord, Je- the Lord stood and said, take courage, for as you have testified the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. He's telling Paul, look, I know you're not really sure whether or not I called you or not. I want to tell you, take courage. This is exactly where I want you at, and you are going to make it to Rome. Be encouraged. Now, did he get him out of jail? No. Did he get him out of the afflictions? No, he didn't. But he reconfirmed his call, and to Paul that was, you know, I know this is tough right now, but I'm going to make it to Rome. I I know that things don't look like I'm going to make it. It looks like they might kill me, but I'm going to make it to Rome because that's exactly where Jesus wants me to go. This message for many of us today is a reconfirmed call. It's a reconfirmation that Jesus has called you to do something bigger. It is a call to say that you, by the call of Jesus, are supposed to be making disciples of every creature, every person that you come into contact with. You are to be a witness to them. That witness may be as simple as inviting them to church. That witness may be as simple as the Bible doesn't teach that, therefore I don't live that way. That, that, that may be as, as significant as, look, the answer to your problem is Jesus And have you ever really asked him to forgive you of your sins and and be your savior? Have you ever done that? It may be as significant as that. But nonetheless, we are called to do that. The problem is, if if we have any, any concept or any forevision of some type of pain coming as a result of giving that message to somebody, we are very inclined to back up into a safe space. We're we're inclined to back up and just not speak the truth to people because we don't want to offend. We don't want to lose their friendship. We don't want to lose their friendship. Let me tell you, if your friend goes to hell, you've lost the friendship. You've lost it. Absolutely lost it. See, we stop when we should be going And we go when we should stop. We need to grab a hold of the mission and say, hey, God wants us to pass this on. This is what we need to be about. This is what we need to be doing. I am ready to share the gospel with other people. I do not care how you vote in the next election. I do not care your political views because what I know, and more now than ever, is politics doesn't save any nation. 
Jesus does. Politics does not turn a nation around. Jesus does. It is God and Jesus, and there's something bigger going on. And it's God's vision and his direction and your mission and my mission to get the gospel out. Now, what is more disturbing than Jesus telling you that something bad is going to happen to you as a result of you going someplace for him or or witnessing for him? What is more disturbing than that? Okay, well... I'll have to say that the next couple of things that I'm going to show you is not disturbing at all, okay? It's not disturbing at all, all right? Um, We all have children, and we've all had the first time that they took the steps, you know, those first steps, okay? So, So here's a video of a kid. Okay, that's got to be one of the best things in the world. What trumps that is when it's your own kid, and they take that first step. She is doing nothing that would benefit the rest of the world at all. But we are cheering. You hear, oh, yay, they're going, yay, oh, it's awesome. And those two parents are just excited beyond belief. Here's Here's when it matters a little bit more, when it's someone you know. For instance, This is uh, the Potts child, Eli, and his first steps that go here to the church. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. And there's something to celebrate. You You didn't necessarily relate to that kid that you didn't know, but you totally related to him. That is a cute kid, and he's huge. He's a football player. I don't, I don't know where in the world he's just huge. He came out big. He's going to be big. He's just, he's just incredible. And that, that is absolutely cute. So we, we celebrate those type of things. That's something that, that we love to see. Um, we have a couple of, couple of kids that are playing football now. And uh, this next video is of Tom Miller, and he's the quarterback. Okay? So I want you to watch this video and listen, listen to the crowd. Yeah, Tom Miller. Yeah, awesome. And so everybody knows. Now, if you were to bring somebody that didn't know Ty, didn't know anybody there, and that, that play was to happen, nobody would care. It really, I mean, I'm not trying to say anything, but nobody would care. Nobody would care. But because we know Ty, because his parents know him, and she had out her little camera doing the whole deal, right? We, because we had to capture the moment. It meant something to us. When something significant happens that is, like, exciting, we want to share that with people. So this was posted on Facebook. So that's, that's where, I, where I first saw it. Well, he's not the only person in the church that can do this, although he is the quarterback. Um, there's another guy, Mason Caudle, and um, this is him doing the same sort of thing in a different way.
Mason Caudle. Yeah. Awesome. Now, that's pretty amazing to me. I really don't know exactly what's going on on the field, all right? I know there's defenders and stuff like that. But that little switch in direction that he did, that was pretty impressive to me. I don't even know if that's supposed to be impressive, but that was impressive to me. And then he, he went on to the end. Look, when I was in school and I was in junior high, um, I was in PE, and I accidentally caught the ball, and it was an interception, okay? The interception, I, was, I just happened to be in front of one of the main football players for, the, you know, for our team, right? And he was supposed to catch the ball, and I was not supposed to catch the ball, but somehow or another, that ball fell in my hand. As soon as I got it, I thought, oh, my goodness. Now, I can run, and you cannot catch me. But I just did a straight line into the end zone. After that, we were in the locker room. We are kind of dressing out. That kid tried to pick a fight with me right? Because I accidentally intercepted the ball. I mean, it, it was just, yeah. So um, I'm, not, I'm not really sports oriented like that, but nonetheless, that, that's pretty amazing. And we celebrated that, right? We celebrated that. We knew him. It's something to celebrate. So back to Acts chapter 21. And let's begin reading with verse 17. Here we go. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. So here's Paul, someone they know, they know his story, and when he starts telling them about Ephesus, and when he starts telling them about Corinth, and when he starts telling them about the churches that he has planted and how God has used him, and when they start hearing these things, and the salvations, and the people that are being discipled all across the world, these people get excited, and they glorify God. They celebrate. They celebrate. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 24, this isn't the first time this happened with Paul. Galatians chapter 1, verse 24, it says, And they praise God because of me. Wow. Because of my testimony of Christ and how I was following him. The, the verses before that has to do with his testimony and how people are coming to the Lord as a result of his salvation. And so here is a group of people that are also praising God because of Paul, because of the change in his life, because of what Jesus is doing in his life, because of the God stuff that is happening to Paul. And they praise God. They praise God. They knew him, and they praised him. So here's the question for you. Is there enough God stuff going on in your life where people would praise God because of you? Is there enough God stuff going on in your life where people would praise God 
because of you. What is more disturbing than pain and agony because you're following the Lord Jesus Christ? What is more disturbing than that? If the answer to that question is no, there is not enough God stuff going on in my life. There is nothing that I could share. That is immensely disturbing. Why is that? Because that has impact on eternity and everlasting life. Is there enough God stuff going on in your life where people would praise God because of you? I picked on Jimmy just a few minutes ago, but I really appreciate him. He, he, has, um, he has given out these little stickers that have JLM, Jesus Loves Me, and people have placed them on their cars. Um, I, won't, I won't mention the name of this particular person because they're kind of shy in a way, but this person put theirs on their car, and um, they left town. And... Uh, they left town, and uh, there was a repair that needed to happen in their house. Let me just make up something. Let's say that it's the water heater, okay? Water heater. We'll just make up something. So they called somebody to come in and replace this water heater. And the person came in and replaced the water heater, and they, they left. Um, when these individuals returned to their house, however, the car that was there, that they had parked there while they were gone, um, had a scratch on it. And it was like a scratch where, let's say using the illustration of a water heater, water heater had scraped the paint as it went across the car. So this person called the person that did the repairs on the house, and the person said, no, I didn't scratch your car. Well, they were pretty sure that that was the person that scratched the car because the scratch wasn't on it, but they, they just let it go. They let it go. So to make a long story short, a couple of days later, that person um, called them on the phone and said, I'm just calling to let you know I'm sorry. I have lied to you. Um, I did scratch your car. The thing that I couldn't let go of was that JLM sticker on the back of your car that Jesus loves me. And that was constantly on my mind. And it brought that person to repentance. Ladies and gentlemen, that is something to celebrate. That is an amazing thing. When we witness something more powerful than we are begins to happen. It just begins to happen. I learned this morning that um, I, I was doing New Connections, and I, I didn't really, really know this, but I was sitting across from a lady that Roger Miller led to the Lord years ago. It is at that moment that I praised the Lord for Roger Miller and his faithfulness to give out the gospel to people. And he does it to more than more than just 40 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years ago, he continues to do that today. That is something to celebrate. I sat across from somebody this morning. Roger Miller had personally led them to the Lord. That is amazing. That is God stuff. When your family members start coming back to the church and you, you had a role in that, that is something to celebrate. That's something to tell people about. Man, they came back. I've been asking them to come, and they finally came, and that's incredible. And, and people celebrate that. That's God things. It's when you get into the Bible, and you begin to read the Bible, and, that, and you, you're doing it every day, and it changes your life, and you're not even aware necessarily of how much better it's making you. But then there's something that happens where you react correctly to that particular situation. That is God stuff. God allowed me to react correctly to a bad situation because he's working in my life. And people praise God 
because of you. When you show up sometimes and you're not supposed to show up to do a service activity at the church, people will praise God because of you. When you're involved in doing God's work, people will praise God because of you. Is there enough God stuff going on in your life where people would praise God because of you? Do you live that sort of life? If the answer to that question is no, it is immensely disturbing. Immensely disturbing. But if it's yes... You are living the life that Jesus Christ has called you to live, and you're making disciples just like he gave you the mission to do. Is there God stuff going on in your life? Is there? Um, I was, um, <clears throat> just last night, I, I am the president of the band fans at West Forsyth High School, which is the rival of Davie County High. So just keep loving me. Grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. My kids are in there. And last evening, I, what I've noticed is I've done more counseling in that position than I ever have, or giving counsel, I don't really counsel, giving counsel in that situation than any other thing. Just last night, th there's, this, there's this guy God love him. He just needs Christ. Just needs Christ. Totally mixed up. Came to me with one of their dramatic issues that happens in schools. Right? By the way, can I just say this? Don't get so dramatic in schools. Okay? You don't need to do that. But nonetheless, we'll go back. So he, he, got, really, he got really dramatic. I was able to talk to him about Christ last night. Did I have the thought that maybe I shouldn't do that because the public school, president of the band fans, might not be what the band fans stand for? But yeah, sure, all that stuff went through my mind. But I mean, really, it's just the band fans at West Forsyth High School. They could fire me and I'd still have this job. Right? I mean, everybody could hate me and I'd still have this job. If that guy came to Christ as a result of additional watering of seed or planting the seed, and I see him in heaven in eternity, it was worth it. And it wasn't a long explanation about Christ. It was just, look, dude, this, this is the band fans. This is small in comparison to what's happening in the rest of the world, what's happening in your life, and where you're going for eternity. Now you look at me and you think, He's good at it because he's a professional, right? I want you to know, God doesn't call professionals into the ministry. God doesn't call professionals to deliver his message of the good news of the gospel and the saving grace of Jesus. He calls everyday people. You have more power when you give your testimony than I do. I'm not talking in terms of Jesus. I'm talking in terms of influence. People expect me to give them the gospel. Come on. I know it because sometimes when I walk into the room, people stop cussing. I know they look at me differently, right? They, they, start, they start shaping up a little bit. They start talking about Bible stuff that they don't know what they're talking about, but they still say, hey, you know, I, I read, I read St. Jude the other day. Okay, great. I think that's a Beatles song, but that's okay. 
You, you, read, you read St. Jude. Don't, no big deal. But when you, when your life changes and when you put stickers on your car and when you give out the gospel and when you invite people to church, it's so much more influential and so much more powerful than anything I can do one-on-one. And you're a bigger group of people than me. Would I like you to invite them to this church? Yes, I would like to see this place packed out. I'd like to see our preschool department packed out, our K through fifth grade packed out, our, our youth group packed out, which it's, that's happening, but we need to continue all of that. And I would like to see this church packed out. And I would like to see adults coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior, not as the result of necessarily me witnessing to them, but as the result of you witnessing to those people. That is when the church begins to fulfill the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it. Do not let the answer to that question right there be no. You need to work toward the answer to that question being yes. Yes. People can praise the Lord because of what he's done through me. And that's an amazing thing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father,